0: Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. I'll be reading from John chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed Him because they saw the signs He had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was, a, there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they had got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberius landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Verily, truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will is that everyone looks, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He met Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him.
1: We're in week four of our series called, That You May Believe. And each week we're going chapter by chapter through the book of John. And from these chapters, we're um, focusing on the seven signs and the seven I am statements of Jesus. And these signs point to who Jesus is. And they tell us more about him so that we may believe. Today, we get both. We get the the fourth sign, which is the feeding of the 5,000, and we get the first I am statement. I am the bread of life. And we're doing this because the two are knit closely here in chapter 6. Here we see the crowd go from one extreme to the other. One day, they're wanting Jesus to be their king. The next day, they reject him. Deeply offended, they walk away. What is this about? And why would Jesus speak to them in the way he did, with those words that he did, and not even explain himself? Our message title is, To Be or Not to Be Offended. And as we move through the message, we're going to seek to answer a question that this this passage presents to us. I hear God saying, do you trust me when you don't fully understand me? The feeding of the 5,000, which is actually close to 20,000 with the women and the children were there, it's the only miracle that is contained in all four Gospels besides the resurrection. And this is important. It made an impact on all who witnessed it. So what is this sign, the feeding of the 5,000, what is it saying about Jesus? Let's take a look. First of all, in verses 5 and 6, It says, Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him and goes on to say, and he already had in mind what he was going to do. Mark's version of this account, says that Jesus saw the crowds approaching and he had great compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them and then after he taught them, This miracle was performed, he provided the food. So that brings us to our first point. He is the God who sees, and he knows our need before we do. With just one look, he saw their need. He saw their need for a shepherd, and he fed them his word. He saw their need for food, and he fed them with the kid's meal, that's pretty amazing. So this sign it shows us that Jesus is a supplier of every one of our needs. He demonstrates that He is truly able to make all grace abound to you in all things, so that at all times you are able to abound in every good work. Now, a few years back, my husband, he had to change jobs, and with that job change came a decrease in pay. It was quite significant. So we made some adjustments, and, um, but we had two kids in college. And looking at our finances, we knew that we wouldn't be able to continue to afford both kids, so we were gonna flip a coin to see which kid got to go. No, just joking. So we said, God, we don't know how you're gonna pr- provide, but you have provided all of our lives. We look to you, we trust you. And it wasn't long after that, Barry gets a call and he's offered a position with a pay increase. But here's the thing, the increase was the exact amount needed to cover Janessa's tuition. So Janessa, you can thank God for that one. (laughs) You can finish school. (laughs) Getting back to our story now, the crowd ate until they were satisfied. Their stomachs are full. They're happy. They're content. Leftovers were collected. And this crowd, they had been following Jesus. So They had seen the signs of the miracles of healing, and they were amazed. But there was something about this miracle that set it apart, something that made them say in verse 14, this is indeed the prophet who has come to the world. And when they're saying the prophet, they're talking about the one spoken of by Moses in Deuteronomy 18, This miracle was on par with the miracle of the manna that God rained down for 40 years to provide for the Israelites in the Old Testament. Now, if this was the end of the story, we could celebrate. We could say, yes, they got it. They realized the sign pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. But that's not how the story unfolds. Verse 15 tells us that Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Why does Jesus do that? Doesn't he want to be their king? This is our next point. If Jesus is our king, we must allow him to be who he truly is, not who we want him to be. You see, they had an appetite that was more than for the free meals for life, which, you know, wouldn't be bad, right? They longed, for a messiah, a king who would deliver them from the Roman oppression that they were under at the time. They saw Jesus as useful, only desiring him for what he could give them. But they didn't see him as someone to be worshipped, someone to devote their lives to and believe in. And that's a sobering thought. Have we done that in our own lives? I know I have. There have been moments when I have wanted something so bad, and it might have been a really good thing that I was desiring, but I found myself trying to force the arm of God so that I could have it in my time, in the way that I wanted, rather than just surrendering and trusting for His timing and His provision and what He knew was best for me. Um, excuse me, Tim Keller says it this way, anyone can find God useful, but only growing Christians find God beautiful. Finding God beautiful. That means that we worship him, we adore him, we are devoted to him even when we don't understand him. Let's move on. So this crowd, they're pretty good trackers. They track Jesus down all the way across the lake, and it's the next day. Now remember Jesus. He was moved to compassion when he saw them the day before. But the same God who sees is the one who knows exactly what we need. And he knows exactly what they need in that moment. They need the truth, even though it wasn't packaged in a way that they preferred this is our next point, even at the risk of us walking away, God is not opposed to offending us in order to expose our real need. That's tough, really is. There's a perceived need, what we think we need, and then there's a real need, what God knows we need. And we need to see what he sees, because sometimes we're blinded, what we need. Just as our friends told us earlier, God, what do I need healed? He sees, and sometimes he uses situations or the word to, and it actually offends us. Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The words of Jesus to them, are shocking. They're offensive to the Jews. And he wasn't doing it to be rude. Not at all. He was actually speaking these words to allow the attitudes and the motives of their heart to surface, to confront hypocrisy and self-righteous attitudes, and to do so with truth. And that was hard for them to swallow. Pun intended. Sorry, I know that was really cheesy. So, a couple of weeks ago, Wednesday night, I was at youth, and I was talking to a small group of the youth, and we were discussing John, and the top, the verse came up, (laughs) and it is the one that said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Well, one of the young men, he's like, wait a minute, that's, cannibalism, <laughs> and then his face was like showing his disgust, and that was actually the response of the people that day that heard these words. If you take the words literally, yeah, it's disgusting, but Jesus was speaking metaphorically. We know that. They did not perceive that at that time. If you look at the dialogue that, continue, that begins in verse 25, you'll notice that the phrase truly, truly, in the NIV it says very truly. That's used four times in these verses and that's significant. With this, you notice that Jesus is accomplishing a purpose. The words truly, truly in Greek is amin, amin, the same word that we say amen at the end of a, a prayer. And that's when we say that, we're doing so And it means that we are confident God is able to fulfill the very prayer that we just prayed. He's able to do that. Well, Jesus takes these words, and he puts them at the beginning of phrases. And when he does that, it's important. He's saying, lean in, pay attention. What's about to be said is important, and you can count on it. It's trustworthy and true. So these these four statements proceed in this dialogue, they're accomplishing a purpose and the first one, in verse 26, he exposes the true motives of their heart. Secondly, in verse 32, he corrects misguided theology. In verse 47, he confronts their complaining with the assurance of a promise that he alone can offer, the promise of eternal life. And Pastor Ian Gave an excellent sermon last week on eternal life and what that means. It was so good, talking about how it's not just getting into heaven; it's getting heaven into us, experiencing God's fullness of life that He intends here and now to carry on into eternity. And then finally, the last truly, truly statement: He reveals that this decision to accept Him or reject what He's offering—that decision determines destiny. It's the most important decision anyone will ever make. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We need what only Jesus offers. But many are offended by this offer. Verse 61 says, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? I love that. (laughs) The word offend there in Greek is skandalizo. It sounds very much like scandalous, right? In this context, it means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert the one whom he ought to trust and obey, to cause to fall away. And this brings back to mind the prophecy of Simeon when Jesus was only eight days old. Simeon said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. That's exactly what takes place here. So, what do we do when we feel offended, when we feel that God has offended us? It may be his word. There's something in there that we don't agree with. But sometimes God speaks in our circumstances. Maybe life has thrown you a curveball that you thought a holy, good God would never allow that. What do we do? That's our next point. An offense with God is an invitation to explore its root. Now some people they look at the book of Job, they read through it, and many have said, how cruel of God to allow Job to suffer like that. And how even more cruel to not tell him why. Well, if you go to chapter 42, verse 5 of Job, you'll get the secret to why Job was not offended. After he meets God, in the whirlwind, and God speaks to him, doesn't explain why he suffered. Job says these words, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And that's what it's all about. It's knowing God in the midst of the suffering, walking with him, where you could say, even though I walk, through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, and I might add, if we only protect our hearts from hardening against Him. Disappointment, pain, unanswered prayer, whatever it may be, if it's not prayerfully processed, then it can fester in us and begin to present us with a lie that God is withholding good from us, that God is the reason that I'm not getting what I want, and then we become the judge, and then we put God on trial it requires great humility to release what we don't understand allowing us to have faith in who he is he is compassionate he is gracious he is slow to anger and he is rich in faithful love can we trust him when we don't understand him Where else would we go? He holds the words of life. And the invitation remains. It it is always open to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good, even when we don't understand. If the worship team could come on back up. We have one other thing we're going to do before we close today. Um, and we're going to spend some time in prayer because of it. But before we get to that point, um, I want to take this moment as the worship team is coming to pray. If anyone here or online, you have a disappointment that you haven't processed with God, you have a question of like, God, why? Can we take those to him right now? Can we present it to him? Maybe we know someone who's struggling with this, who is holding on to bitterness and not releasing it. Let's pray about that right now. Father, I thank you for your heart. You're a good father and you give good gifts. Nothing is wasted. Everything in our life, as we surrender it to you, you cause it to work out for good. Help us to see that. Help us to trust you in this moment. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting, who are grieving, who are in such pain, they feel crushed by it, that you would come into their experience right now. They they would feel the power of your Holy Spirit and your ministering touch, reaching that pain, applying the anointing, your love, your power to release the bitterness and to receive you. For you are our portion. You are our great reward, our cup of blessing. Lord, forgive us for holding on to any lies that we have believed about you. I pray that right now that you would, you would expose every lie that has perverted our view of who you are. Come now, Lord. We repent of those lies and believing in them, and we ask for you to reveal your truth and help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're listening online or if anyone here, you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, like I said, this is the most important decision. And you could do that by saying the prayer. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. Will you come and be my Lord and Savior? Thank you for dying on the cross, for rising again. And I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Come and teach me what to do. Forgive me of all my sins. Amen. Welcome home. Welcome home.
0: Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast.
1: For more info,
0: visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.